Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of The Package Tourist, hosted by yours truly, The Package Tourist, and the magical mystery tour called Life, Matthew DiBiaz. Tonight's guest is investigative journalist and author Sandra Petty. Sandra lives on Long Island, New York, and since 1993, she has worked for Newsday, where she has had a distinguished career as a journalist. She has won more than 75 awards for her journalistic work. She was a finalist for the Pulitzer Prize for Public Service and worked on Newsday's 1995 Pulitzer Prize winning series on police disability fraud. In 1997, she published her first book, The Repetitive Strain Injury Sourcebook, and she is about to release her second book, Sonny, the last of the old-time mafia bosses, John Sonny Franzese, a biography of the legendary mafioso Sonny Franzese, who was a member of the Profaci, later to be renamed Colombo crime family of the American Cosa Nostra. I myself had the honor and privilege of reading an advanced copy of this great book, and I must say that it is powerful, tragic, and Sandra Petty's prose hits you right between the eyes like a bullet out of the barrel of Sonny Franzese's gun. Sandra, welcome to the show. I'd like to start off by asking you, what led you to write about Sonny Franzese? Well, I interviewed Michael Franzese for another story, and he happened to mention that his father was getting out of prison at age 100, and that his father was the oldest inmate in the federal prison system. So, of course, it was an incredible story, and I had to do that story. I had to get the interview with Sonny. So that's how it started. What were you impressed? In your book, you discuss your meetings with Sonny Francesi. What were your impressions of him when you interviewed him during the final months of his life? What, how did you interpret him? Well, Sonny, like a lot of powerful people, he was charming, smart, completely lucid. He was very proud of his full head of hair, and he had a zest for life. And he loved telling stories. He was a great storyteller. And of course, every story that Sonny told, he won the fight, he won the girl, he got the better of whatever business deal he was in. He always came out on top. That was Sonny. When I was also, and I should say, forgive me, I, sh I should say, but there was also always that undercurrent of danger. Mm. of violence that you knew was there. And at one point I asked him about a loan shark who worked for Philly Bazzari, and he gave me this look. It was this cold stare that other people have told me about since. It just, it was this cold penetrating stare. And I had no idea what line I had crossed. And I must have looked blank because he studied my face for a moment and then he changed. He mm. went back to being his jocular self. Mm. Do you think he was a psychopath in your view? Well, I'm not a psychologist or a doctor, but he certainly fits the descriptions, the definitions of psychopath. And to have done what he claimed to have done to other people, he never admitted, I should be very clear, he never admitted any murders to me because, of course, he knew that there was no statute of limitations on the prosecution of murder. But he has told other people that he murdered many people. And to be able to do that and to brag to his son about how great it was to have acid pools at their body shop where they repaired cars because, of course, acids would be used to dissolve bodies. 
to be able to do that kind of, take such relish in his work. And he was very, very proud of the life he led. You have to wonder about how he could do that if he weren't a psychopath. Mm. How high up in the Profaci Colombo family hierarchy did Sonny Francesi reach as a mobster? What was his highest rank? He was underboss. He was ultimately named underboss. And it was something that he really didn't want to brag about. There, He was caught on tapes later when his son, John, was secretly wearing a wire against him. And people were congratulating Sonny on being underboss. And he's like, no, 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 don't congratulate me. I'm just, I'm just Sonny. He really didn't want to stand out too much, but he, he couldn't help it. He stood out naturally because he was just that kind of person. When I, I, when I looked at the photographs in the book, and also I also read his son uh, Michael's uh, uh, a biography too, and I've seen photographs of him. I mean, there is, there is a seductive beauty to him, but uh, you talk about the eyes. I, there's, those, uh, there's one or two photographs, you look at those eyes and you knew, this is a, th these are, mur those are murderers eyes. I mean, did you get that same sense too? Well, I don't know that I put it as succinctly as you just did. And I think that's a really wonderful way to put it. But I, I, there it was a quality and Sonny even talked about this. He just wouldn't back down. Mm. And if you look at other photos of mobsters in the day, in the sixties and the seventies, and this is when Sonny was at his peak, when they would be arrested or walked on perp walks, they always covered their faces with a newspaper or a cloth or whatever. Mm. Sonny never covered his face. He always looked straight at the camera. Mm. And he said he just couldn't back down. He just wasn't afraid. Now, now in your book, you talk, you state that you know he he go, he he go, he he went to jail on a on a basically they. The authorities said he orchestrated a bank robbery ring of some sort, right? And that, right. and you state in the book that he could have ended his jail sentence at any time if he had been willing to cooperate, like his two sons did, or like Gregory Scarpa secretly did with the FBI. But he never ever did. How? What was it? I mean, what was how? What was the source of his loyalty to his mafia oath? I mean, what was that? What was that source in his character and his being that? gave him that strength not to quote unquote turn rat as it were you know metaphorically speaking and that's such a good question and no one's ever asked me that question before but it's such a good question because it really i've thought about it because Sonny wasn't afraid to break the law or kill people or hurt people but his mafia identity was so intertwined he was uh, um, an fbi agent once said to me he was mafia to his soul it was who he was. And for him to violate his mafia oath would be to violate himself. So I really think it was partly his own narcissism because he just couldn't be seen as someone who was a rat. Mm. He, he knew that he was revered on the street. And even people in law enforcement admired him for his toughness. He knew that. He, and, and that, I think, is part of the reason why well, I think it's the main reason he spoke to me was because he knew that he had a particular legacy in the life of crime and he wanted his story told but he paid a price for his silence yeah 
when reading books about various mobsters, I mean, I, I, I have to admit, Sandra, I've always been a connoisseur of mafia literature, and, and some mobsters have specialties. Some deal with labor unions, some deal with construction, or some deal with pornography. What was Sonny Francesi's specialties as a mobster? What were his sources of income? What did he delve in? Well, he was a, a, a very proficient um, loan shark. He ran a lot of gambling rings. He uh, extorted people. He was very good at extortion. But the thing about Sonny that made him a little different was that he worked his way into civilian markets very easily. So he was huge in the music industry. Yeah. He had his own theatrical booking agency, and that was his cover. But but it was legitimate, and he even took credit for booking the Supremes at the Copacabana. He actually championed a lot of black acts at a time when other people were not. He had no interest whatsoever in black acts. Some he did, and he made money off them. Now, in your book, the Francese family, Sonny himself and his children, always maintained that he was, quote unquote, framed on the bank robbery charges that that he had to go to jail for a long time. Based on your research and your conclusions, was it a frame or was it was he legitimately guilty? What is what were your personal conclusions based on your investigation? Well, I, you know, I'm still a little up in the air about that. And there are people who say it authoritatively. He was framed. But I never found any evidence that he was framed. Mm. There was a a meeting that the bank robbers alleged that Sonny attended and where Sonny told them how they were to proceed. But there was, that was the core of the prosecution's case against him. But there was never any evidence that could prove that he didn't attend that meeting. And so under the law, if Sonny accepted money from these bank robberies, and he surely would have, then he was guilty. But whether that meeting happened, I don't know. I, I do know Sonny maintained till the very end that he was innocent. And certainly a lot of other people believe he was framed. But again, I never found any evidence that he was in fact framed. During your journalistic career, did you ever get to meet and or interview Sonny's uh, late wife, Christina? No, I did not. And I, I, that's a loss because Tina was a remarkable woman. She was not a typical mob wife. Mm. She wasn't quiet, docile in the background. She was just the opposite. She was a petite, lovely, exquisitely dressed woman. She always wore designer clothes. And she had beautiful taste. And she could hold her own with celebrities and with street guys. She was very, very tough as well. And she and Sonny had a tempestuous relationship. They fought often and hard. And one of the things Sonny would say to her when they got into their battles was, you're not me. Mm. When I was reading the book, when 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 you when you would talk about Christina, I, this was just strictly my personal interpretation. I don't know if I was correct or not, but sometimes, given her her a powerful personality and also her, I I got a sense she had she had a, t- a penchant for melodrama. 
sometimes I got she kind of reminded me of the fictional character Livia Soprano from the the TV series The Sopranos. Did you get that same impression? I mean, was she kind of like Livia in that sense? I mean, given her high-powered personality and her melodramatic uh, episodes and all that, did you get that sense of it, or am I is my interpretation incorrect? No, I think that's a wonderful interpretation. I, I think that you're not off at all because, yeah, she absolutely was melodramatic. I mean, she had these rages where you know, she would turn up the air conditioning just to cost him money and it drove him crazy. And one time she got so mad at him, she threw out all his personal mementos and she was furious with him. It was always very dramatic in the household. So you're right. I think that's so interesting. How much help did you get from Sonny's sons, Michael and John? Because Michael these days, I mean, he he, he does his own pod, podcast. You see his new episodes all the time on YouTube. How much assistance did you get from his sons? They were enormously helpful. You know, they're both aware that they come from an unusual family. And Michael was the person who actually launched me on this quest. And mm. he, he never turned down an interview. He was very, very helpful. And John, up until I found him, had not been interviewed extensively he had done i think he had been doing one interview and but he hadn't been he hadn't been interviewed in depth and so his story is really unusual michael uh, is very articulate very intelligent and obviously very successful and very well known his story is well known john's story is less well known and he's just as articulate and appealing as his brother was it difficult locating John Francese? Did you have any difficulty finding him? Yes, because he had been in witness protection. Mm. Bear in mind, John wore a wire against his father, which oh is a death sentence in the mafia. Wow. And so he had to enter the witness protection program, the very program that was started because of his father. And so he was in witness protection for many years until... I wrote a story about Sonny getting out of prison at age 100, and it circulated around the internet, and someone saw it and said, I know where he's, he's living. His name is Matt Pazzarelli, and he's in Indianapolis. So the U.S. Marshals called him up and wanted to move him that day, and apparently in the program, you know, they move you. There's no notice. You have less than an hour's notice, and you go. Yeah. And John had been settled there for a while, and he had made friends, and he felt more rooted in life than he really had been in a long time. And so he made the decision to leave the witness protection program. Mm. And it had been something he had been thinking about for a long time because John has HIV, mm. and he had been diagnosed with um, – throat dysplasia and was worried that he would die before he ever saw his family again. Mm. So he signed himself out of witness protection. So I was able to find him, but bear in mind, when you're in witness protection for as long as he was, and I think it was about 17 years, I may, I may be off by a year or two, there's very little paper trail. Mm. All of us leave paper trails. But when you're in witness protection, there isn't much of one. Yeah. 
And so it wasn't easy finding him. But fortunately, when I did, finally, he was willing to talk and he had quite a story to tell. I know in the book, it's a, his story is like a, a key sub theme throughout the book. I mean, he had a lot of personal struggles. I mean, dealing with some personal demons, not just, you know, crimes, but just, you know, dealing, you know, with his, you know, personal demons, his own struggles and all of that. I mean, you talk about that in the book. Well, yes, he, John became a drug addict. I mean, he lived on the street for years. He would, he would sleep on the subway of New York to stay warm. And he would, his mother, like all mothers, would worry about him and always buy him sneakers. And he would take them off and sell them for money for drugs. <laughs> and one time, he went through rehab many times. And one time he had gone through rehab and he had been sober for six months. So Tina bought him a Jaguar and he went out with some friends in the music business. He started getting high. And by the end of the night, he had sold off all the wheels of the Jaguar for something like $15 a piece so he could get enough money to buy a hit of crack. And then he went, descended into the spiral again. But then he finally... Uh, he decided to go to California to see Michael. And when he got to California, he thought, wow, this is great. It's warm. They've got porta potties here. You know, he, <laughs> if he wound up living on the street, at least there would be porta potties. <laughs> and he stumbled onto a sober home, and it was the right time, and it was the right place, and he got sober. And that's an accomplishment. And he has been sober ever since. And he he lives a life of going to meetings and trying to help other people who are struggling with addiction. Do you think a movie could be made on the life of Sonny Francesi based on your book? And has Hollywood approached you on the subject? Or have you reached out to Hollywood by any chance, Sandra? <laughs> well, you know, from your lips to God's ears, yes, I think it would be a great movie. Uh, no, I can't say that uh, Hollywood has reached out, but there's a possibility. Who knows? We'll see. The book is very, very new, so I hope people read it, and maybe the story will get out. Considering the uh, how fascinating the characters are, Sonny, Christina, you know, uh, Michael and John, how could you not make a movie on it? I mean, <laughs> they've made movies on far lesser mob figures. If you had to cast, who could play Sonny Francesi in the movie, if you could cast him? You know, someone suggested this to me, and I feel presumptuous even saying this, but someone suggested Tom Cruise to me. And I thought that was such an interesting suggestion because he has the same kind of physicality, the same athletic grace, because Sonny was a real athlete. And I thought that was interesting. Who do you think? No, please, not Tom Cruise. No, no, no. Got to be a real Italian. You got to get a real Italian. I mean, Sonny was a real Italian. You got to get a real Italian actor to do it. Please, I'm begging you, okay? You're right. Yeah. As a connoisseur of good mob movies, please get a real Italian, okay? Please. <laughs> Sandra, let's talk. I can tell you who someone else suggested. I, I, uh... well, I, don't, li I don't like it. Thumbs down, thumbs down. Okay. Sandra, let's talk about yourself. Where were you born and raised? Minnesota. I grew up in Minnesota. I knew nothing of the mafia until I moved to Long Island, and then I started learning about the mafia. 
when you were growing up, what led you to get into journalism? Well, I think it's one of those things. My mother was a journalist. My grandfather was a journalist. It was probably something in the gene pool. And I've always been fascinated by people's stories. And I, as you do a podcast, you learn extraordinary things about life and people. And it's the same thing in journalism. It, I feel as if I, I'm going to school every day. And I happen to like that. I, I like what I've learned about people and life. And I never, if you had told me growing up in Minnesota that I would someday write a book about a mob boss, I would have said, no way. Mm. It's just, it wasn't even on my radar. But that's where life takes you. Sandra, whenever uh, I've, this is my third season of my show, whenever I've interviewed a lot of authors and whenever I do interview an author, I always ask this single standard question at, every time. When you were growing up, who were your personal favorite authors? And although those favorite authors, did any of them inspire you to become a writer or and an author or perhaps influence your own personal writing style? Well, my my heroes always change you know people always ask me what's your favorite story and i never have a favorite because i always fall in love with the next story mm. it's the same thing for me with writers of course i loved norman mailer mm. uh, even though you know he had a horrific attitude toward women but mm. he's a wonderful writer and i remember reading his protege jack henry abbott the uh, prison inmate whom he mentored, and I was just stunned by the writing. And I could talk about writers like Ernest Hemingway, and I, there are, of course, women who are not coming to mind right now, but it's always, I, I always discover a new writer, and um, I think that's what's so great about writing is it's, there's always someone new who's written something amazing where you just say, oh my God, what was it that I just read? I, you know, I'm trying to think of a book that I read recently that I loved, but there's so many and so many more. So that doesn't really answer your question. Um, no, you did. I mean, no, yeah, you, you actually you did it very beautifully and all that. Sandra, please tell our listeners, where can readers find this book? Where can they find it? They can find it on Amazon, and it is, it's in local bookstores as well, independent bookstores, but Amazon.com, Barnes & Noble, uh, I, you can find it anywhere, but you have to look for S.J. Petty. It's not under the name Sandra Petty, because my publisher had never published a mob book by a woman before, Ooh. and they weren't sure that anyone would buy a mob book by a woman. Wow. So I'm hoping, I'm hoping that readers prove them wrong. Well, you're breaking through the glass ceiling, you know, congratulations. I <laughs> know, uh, really, congratulations. Uh, I, I salute you. I mean, you, you're breaking through a glass ceiling. I mean, I'm so used to Nick Pelleggi, George Anastasia, George Anastasia who came out of Philadelphia. I grew up reading George Anastasia articles in the Philadelphia Inquirer about his, about the Philly mob. And I love, I've got all of his books, you know, of course, I love of his course. stuff, you know, uh, and all that. Um, Sandra, like, what what will be your next book project, and when can we expect its release? Well, actually, I just 
uh, it's going to be a mo another mob-related book. Mm. And I was just talking to someone about that today, as a matter of fact. It's a fascinating story. And if I can corroborate what they're telling me, it's going to be my next book. I, I'm sorry to be coy because I haven't committed yet to it. But, you know, the reason I agreed to do the Sunny book was because I could corroborate everything in that book. Yeah. It's not just based on interviews with Sunny Francis. It's based on interviews with 130 other people yeah. as well as pages and pages of court documents, police records, and other archi archived records. So with this next book, if I can do something similar, that's, and I think I can, because there are definitely court records and police records. It's a pretty fascinating story. And again, it's going to be an unusual one, because there's going to be a woman involved. Yeah. Uh, can you tell me who the mobster is, or you don't want to give the game away? It's several mobsters. It involves the Italian Mafia and the Irish Westies. Ooh, okay. Uh, if you don't mind me asking, which Italian mobster, if you don't mind me asking? There are several of them. Several. High-level guys. Was so. it, is it Roy DeMeo and his crew? No. No. Okay. No. But several high-level guys about whom there hasn't been a lot written. Mm. So um, it could be, it will be breaking new ground. If if I can do what I want to do, that's it. So and it literally just, it, actually, what happened was the person who wants to do the book read my sunny book, called me up and said, "I love the way you write. I want you to tell my story." Ooh. So we'll see. Which mafia family was the, it? Was this uh, gang associated with? Columbo. Ooh, okay, another Columbo thing. Uh, Sandra, when that you're, book... You're a great interviewer. You're really pulling information out. You know, well, I, like I said, I am a connoisseur of, you know, of, of true crime and especially mafia literature. So, uh, I, Sandra, when that book comes out, please let me know. I want you on my show again. You have an open invitation, please. I really, it's a great honor and privilege to have you on the show. Well, thank you. I feel honored that you're asking me, and I feel honored that an expert like you is interviewing me, because I'm no expert on the mafia, but I'm learning. But, but no, I enjoyed your book immensely. And uh, ladies and gentlemen, everyone listening out there, I do endorse this book. Please buy it. It is an absolutely first-rate account. And it just, you, you, I mean, I had, I had read his son, Michael's, uh, a version of it. And I, so and as soon as I heard that you were talking about him, I thought, Oh, wow. This, I knew this was going to be good. And I was not disappointed. So ladies and gentlemen, go out there and buy that book. I absolutely endorse it. And Sandra, I want to thank you so much for appearing on my show. Thank you for having me. I so appreciate it. Take care and please be safe. You too. You too. Thank you again. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Stay tuned, ladies and gentlemen, for next week's show, where I will be interviewing police historian Mike Simmons. Thank you and good night.